American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Hi, I'm Kathy with a C. And I'm Kathy with a K. And this is Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Harrisonburg, Virginia. Harrisonburg is a small city about two hours west of Washington, D.C., in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley, and it was named for Thomas Harrison, who settled the area in 1737. It's also a college town, home to James Madison University. Harrisonburg has won several awards in recent years, including the number six spot in 2016 in Travel and Leisure magazine for Favorite Town in America, And also in 2016, Harrisonburg ranked third in Blue Ridge Country Magazine as the happiest mountain town. But in 2021, the discovery of a killer in their midst changed this happy town to one of panic and fear. So before we begin the podcast, just wanted to let everybody know If you hear us sound a little more nasally than usual, which says a lot, (laughs) or if we you hear coughing, yeah, we're um, we're a little bit covety. We are a little bit covety. Yeah, Kathy gave it to me, and Kathy gave it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Potato, potato, I win. (laughs) Of course you do. On October twenty fourth, twenty twenty one, the family of fifty year old Aileen Elizabeth Redman contacted the Harrisonburg, Virginia Police Department and reported her missing. Aileen, who went by the nickname Beth, had lived in Harrisonburg, Virginia, her whole life. She lived in an apartment, had a job, and was close with her two daughters, Amanda and Jessica, who had given her four beautiful grandchildren. Beth had lost her husband in 2017, and her family knew she was lonely without him. Even though she didn't have a car, she was always on time and always showed up where she was supposed to be which is why her family and friends became concerned when they hadn't heard from her. She hadn't been in touch with her family, she had missed work, and hadn't been back to her apartment. It just wasn't like her. On November 19th, almost four weeks after Beth Redman was reported missing, the family of 39-year-old Tanita Larice Smith, who went by Nita, reported Nita missing to Charlottesville police. Nita had lived in Charlottesville, which is about 60 miles southeast of Harrisonburg, and a mother of six young children. Understandably, Nita's family was distraught. Not only were they worried about Nita, but it was almost nine years to the day in 2012 when Nita's niece, Sage Smith, who was 19 at the time, went missing. Sage has never been found, but four years after her disappearance, the Charlottesville Police Department reclassified her case from a missing person to a homicide. Now, Kathy, what I'd read was that they actually were trying to arrest her then live-in boyfriend, Mm -hmm. but never got a hold of him, and he dipped. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So so, so nothing happened with her murder, her her niece's murder? Correct. Oh, wow. my, My belief is they're still looking for the boyfriend, but I don't know if it's a priority. I don't know any of that, but they have never found her body which has to be just horrible for the family. Right, exactly. On November 23rd of 2021, the bodies of both Beth Redman and Nita Smith were found in an empty lot in a commercial area of Harrisburg. 
The women were found after the Harrisonburg Police Department and the Charlottesville Police Department were conducting two separate missing persons investigations, which resulted in each agency narrowing the focus of their search to an open lot in a commercial zone. The women's bodies were discovered a short distance from each other, and police said that they had died at different times. Now, the other thing, too, though, is we actually don't have any information about what drew both of these police agencies to this vacant lot. Right. We have no idea whether it was a tip or anything. Right. The same day the bodies were discovered, November 23, 2021, the Harrisonburg Police Department announced the arrest of the suspected killer of the two women. He was 35-year-old Anthony Robinson of Washington, D.C., Video surveillance connected Robinson with both victims. Police have in their possession a video of Robinson transporting his victims to the empty lot in a shopping cart. Cell phone data confirmed a connection to both victims. Beth Redman and Nita Smith appear not to have known each other, but as police later discovered, they had one thing in common. At different times, each had met Anthony Robinson on a dating site and had arranged to meet him at a motel. Robinson was charged with two counts of first-degree murder in addition to two felony counts of concealing, transporting, or altering a dead body. He is currently being held at the jail in Rockingham County. It's so crazy to me, Kathy, because he was arrested the day they found the bodies. Just hours after they found the bodies. There are really two unanswered questions. The first is, what tipped off the police to this vacant lot? And then the second was, how did they how did they identify Anthony Robinson so soon? And then track him down and arrest him so soon. Right. You know, so I don't know if somebody had seen a body and phoned it in or they went to the surrounding businesses in the area and obtained surveillance video. I don't know. And pulling up a map of the area, the empty lot is obviously a large empty lot. But it's surrounded not only by commercial buildings, but also houses. So it's kind of an empty lot in in more of a commercial zone, but it's not like it's out in the middle of a field in the middle of nowhere. Right. So we just, we don't know. We don't know what drew their attention to the lot. And we have no idea how they got the surveillance and identified him so quickly. But he was arrested the day the women's bodies were recovered. Right. Now, according to Harrisonburg Police Chief Kelly Warner, Following Robinson's arrest, Washington, D.C.'s Metropolitan Police Department contacted Harrisonburg PD and told them that Anthony Robinson was the last known person in contact with a woman named Cheyenne Brown, who was missing out of Washington, D.C. Cheyenne was 29 years old and lived in southeast Washington, D.C. On September 30th, Cheyenne had left her house, got on a bus, and never made it home that day. She was the mother of a seven-year-old boy and four to five months pregnant at the time. And we have no idea how the D.C. police knew that Anthony Robinson was the last known person to see her. However, I saw an interview yesterday on WUSA 9 out of Washington, D.C., and they interviewed, the. it was a, a reporter interviewing her mother, Nicandra Brown, 
And Mrs. Brown confirmed that one of her cousins... One of Mrs. Brown's cousins? Yes, exactly. One of her cousins saw Anthony Robinson's mugshot on television and recognized him as someone that Cheyenne had brought to the house. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So maybe... Who knows? We don't know. Maybe family called Metro PD and said, hey, by the way, we recognize this guy. He's been to our house. Maybe that was the connection. And why they reached out. Right. We don't know why Metro knew he was the last person to see her. Right. And because this is such an evolving case, I mean, obviously, uh, we're actually recording this at the end of December. So this is just over a month ago when the arrest went down, (laughs) when the arrest took place. So we are still kind of trying to get information as it comes out. They had a press conference and you could tell they were trying not to divulge oh, totally. certain information. Yes. They were tripping over some of their words where the reporter would ask a question and they were trying to answer the question without answering the question. Completely. So now we have two police agencies involved. Harrisonburg, Virginia, though, is about two and a half, three hours west of Washington, D.C. So these aren't overlapping jurisdictions by any stretch. So now we have these two agencies working together and trying to locate Cheyenne Brown. Exactly. And so if Anthony Robinson had his phone on him at the time of his arrest, which I believe is highly likely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Harrisonburg police detectives have probably already dumped his phone. They're probably they've probably executed search warrants or in the process of executing them. They probably could give Metro D.C. police some assistance. You're right. But then it gets a little bit more complicated. It does. As always. So now we have two police agencies. However, we said that Cheyenne Brown had gotten on a bus in D.C. And they were able to determine that she actually got off that bus. The very last stop that she was on was Huntington Metro bus stop in Alexandria, Virginia. Right. The Metro D.C. police were able to determine that. Right. Now, Alexandria is not in D.C. and it's not in Harrisonburg. So enter a third police agency Fairfax Fairfax County. County. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The lead person for Fairfax County was Major Ed O'Carroll, who is the commander of the Major Crimes Cyber and Forensics Bureau. So according to Major Ed O'Carroll, Fairfax County police obtained a search warrant for cellular data, and now they were able to determine that both Brown and Robinson were at the same location near the Huntington Metro bus stop on the night of September 30th, at or near a motel in Fairfax County, Virginia, called the Moon Inn Hotel. Now, remember, September 30th, that was the day that she had left her house and was officially then missing when she didn't return home. Right. Police were also able to confirm that Cheyenne had been talking to Robinson on a dating site, and apparently more if Mrs. Brown's cousin saw her bring him home. In other words, they may have actually been been dating. Right, exactly. Fairfax homicide detectives using a cadaver dog from the George Mason University Police Department, searched the area around the Moon Inn Hotel, but police didn't find Cheyenne or anything that provided information about where she might be. On the morning of December 15th, just a week after D.C. Metro and Fairfax detectives began working together to find Cheyenne Brown, the officers received new information that took them back to the area of the Moon Inn Hotel in Alexandria, to expand their original search. That afternoon, homicide detectives saw something in a wooded area near their search area. It was a shopping cart. 
It was kind of weird, though, because the way the police described it was they saw something of interest off in the distance that they needed to investigate. Yeah, th- again, this was one of the parts in the press conference where they were sort of tripping over their words. It was like they were trying to hide how they actually got to that location. So, right, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what to think of that. But anyway, remembering that the victims in the Harrisonburg murders were moved with a shopping cart, the investigators took a closer look. Nothing was in the shopping cart, but near it was a large plastic container where the detectives saw what they believed were human remains. This was soon confirmed by an anthropologist and later a medical examiner. Cheyenne Brown was tentatively identified as one of the bodies in the container. She has not been fully identified by DNA or dental records, but authorities believe it is her based on a very distinct tattoo on her body that was positively identified by her family. Normally, the police want to wait for a positive ID But Fairfax County Police Chief Davis said that they were not waiting in this case because they believe there are many other victims in the area and they need to act now. Now, sadly, they also found that Cheyenne was not the only body in the container. The other victim they found in the shopping cart with Cheyenne Brown has not been identified. However, the lead spokesman for the Fairfax County Police Department told WTOP Channel 9 in Washington, D.C., that detectives believe the victim could be Stephanie Harrison, a California woman whose family and friends last heard from her on August 19th of 2021. Apparently a significant clue was a missing persons poster found taped on U.S. Route 1. So U.S. Route 1 is, well, and Kathy will say this at some point, but in my trip of where I used to live, Alexandria is one of those places where I used to live. Of course it is. Although I never got COVID there, so... (laughs) So maybe it's my favorite. But Route 1 is a major route that goes along Virginia's coastline. And it kind of connects. It's one of the routes that connects Washington, D.C. and Virginia. Mm. So it's something where there's a lot of commuters that live in in suburban Virginia, which I was one of them. And then you go into Washington, D.C. that way. Got it. When they saw this flyer, they decided to follow up, but found out that there were no missing persons reports for this woman in Fairfax County the city of Alexandria, or the city of Arlington. These are all the neighboring cities and counties right next to each other. But what they did is they reached out to the Redding, California Police Department. Redding is in Northern California, and the reason they'd reached out is because that was the number to contact on this missing persons poster. Based on the flyer and check-in records that they were able to get, they believe she stayed at the Moon Inn Hotel the same hotel where Anthony Robinson and Cheyenne Brown were last seen. Detectives are going to gather more forensic evidence in their attempt to identify this fourth victim. Apparently, they're going to fly out to Reading to get a DNA sample, and if it matches the DNA of the body that they recovered, they will have to work backward to figure out how Stephanie Harrison and Robinson may have actually crossed paths. Do we have any idea, Kath, how this woman from California came to be on a missing poster a missing persons poster in the D.C. area? Yes. Stephanie Harrison's sister, who also lives in California, had a friend laminate over 300 flyers and then got in touch with a group called the Aware Foundation, a safety awareness group that helps family and friends spread the word about a missing person through social media and working with law enforcement. 
So they had reached out to the Aware Foundation, gave them these 300 laminated posters, and it was their volunteers who put them up all over the D.C. and surrounding areas. But I mean, why? Why the D.C. area if this lady's from California? Because she was on vacation and that was the last known place where she was before she wasn't in touch with her family anymore. Ah, okay. It was also because even though the police had been able to confirm through check-in data that Stephanie had been at the Moon Inn Hotel, Stephanie's daughter had checked bank records back when her mother went missing to see if she was using her credit cards, getting any cash out, what have you. And that was where she saw a charge for the Moon Inn Hotel. She was able to confirm what the police had already discovered. Now, here's really a sad part is that the flyer also noted that Stephanie suffered from schizophrenia and that she was in need of medications and is very vulnerable and gullible in her current mental state. That's sad. Kath, why are so many dogs now suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, said she's seeing more issues with joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health, their food. What she discovered is actually the way many dog foods are made can create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many of the premium brands. Fortunately, she found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw a huge transformation in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. And Kath, as you know, we have a schnauzer named Ollie. And even though my husband insists he is not, he is overly flatulent. (laughs) (laughs) After I started giving him this food, I swear there was a reduction in his smell. I love that. And I'll come over to your house now. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and you know, we have a Vishla we call Orange, and she's a senior dog. And over the last couple of weeks, she has actually had more energy to be running around the backyard with the younger dog, the Doberman we call Brown. Or crazy. A little bit. <laughs> so if you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash killer D and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash killer D. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Not only do the police want to positively identify the fourth victim, but they're also checking to see if there are additional missing persons cases in Alexandria City, Arlington, or D.C. that might match the killer's M.O. You know what's interesting to me is is that when they discovered the two women in the container, these were women who had been missing on August 19th and September 30th. And when the police found them, they said that they were so decomposed That was why they had to do DNA or dental records to identify them. The women who they found on November 23rd had not been missing that long. One of them, Nita Smith, had only been missing for four days. And Beth Redman had been missing for just about four weeks. So they weren't in the same state of decomposition as the others were. So I think it's if he killed two in Alexandria and then killed two in Harrisonburg, that's not all that close. But, you know, are are there more that are out there? 
Yes, the police definitely believe there are more, and they're looking for them now. At a press conference, December 17, 2021, Chief Davis of the Fairfax County Police said, quote, We're in the process of conducting, along with many other partners, a retrospective investigation to figure out where he's been. And we're going to work with our law enforcement partners, homicide detectives, missing person detectives, to see if we can identify any other victims and families and communities to which he has brought harm. Quote, we have a serial killer. He does unspeakable things to his victims. He is in custody. The challenge that remains is identifying other victims. He's killed four already, and we suspect that he has more victims, said the chief. They've dubbed him the shopping cart killer. And when Fairfax Police Chief Davis was explaining to the media, he said, look, there are commonalities among these murders. They met him on a dating site. They went to a motel to meet him. They were transported to where their bodies were found by a shopping cart. Hence, the shopping cart killer. <laughs> it's like, when I heard that, I was like, aww. I know. But the funny thing to me is, lame. well, he said, I don't want to give this guy a cape, right? Because that's the thing, is that Gavin DeBecker, who we've talked about and really love, is why are we calling these people by these monikers that somehow give them almost untouchable status? Right. Why does he get a name? Why don't you call them, you know, stupid Tony from down the block or, right, right. or you know, peed his pants Tony in the first grade? <laughs> like, you know what I right. mean? So I was really surprised that he had given it to him. But one of the things they said that was super interesting, though, is for a man who has allegedly killed four women in a couple of months, isn't it interesting? He did not have any criminal record prior to this. Right. Nothing. Right. Squeaky clean. Not even a traffic ticket. Yeah. Now, he's not from D.C. He's been very transient living up and down the eastern seaboard, but he, they know he's lived in New York. They know he lived in Prince George's County, Maryland, and they know now he's been in Washington, D.C. But how is somebody who's who clearly has a violent bent, how has he never been arrested or stopped or ticketed? It is interesting, and it's, I am 100% positive they're going to find a bunch of victims. Chief Davis noted those three criteria that you were talking about, or three similarities, the fact that they used a website, the fact that they went to a motel, the fact that they were transported by a shopping cart to their final resting place. Hence, but, the shopping cart killer. <laughs> yes, exactly. But he also pointed out that they were all, like, blunt force trauma was used on all of them, and he said they were brutalized. He, he said they were unspeakable. It yes. Was un he did unspeakable things to them. Right. I don't want him to speak. I don't want to know what those are. Yeah, no, I don't I don't want to know what they are either. But but he, he basically said those were the four similarities. Right. But he also said, or maybe it was one of the other detectives at the press conference said, we only go back three months. We only found this guy three months ago and we only have four bodies. He didn't start this three months ago. They basically said, based upon what he had done to these bodies, this is not new. He has evolved. Right. You don't reach that level of of terror, of extreme violence, of degradation, whatever he was doing. That's not something you wake up with one day and go, you know what I'm going to do today? Right. No, this is... This he's is clearly devolving. Correct. And as you said, he, he's not a transient but he has lived a transient lifestyle, right. meaning he just bounces from job to job and place to place. 
And so there was very little, like nothing really was revealed about him at the press conference. And in the research that I did, I could not find anything, honestly, about the guy. I found his middle name. Yeah. But that hasn't done any good anyway. And and we know his date of birth based on the court records that we looked at. Right. But Um, we couldn't find a Facebook page. We couldn't find an Instagram page. You know, he wasn't on social media. We did not check the dating sites. No, we did not. I really didn't want to. (laughs) You know, but, but it's... He's done a very good job of living anonymously. He has. And one of the things they said, too, I think it was Chief Davis with Fairfax who said this, is that there may be women out there who had an experience with him. Yes. But it didn't go this far. And got away. Yeah, exactly. Or it it went to a certain level. Like, do you remember with um, John Famolaro, who was in our very first episode? Right. One of the things they were able to find women who had been terrorized by him. Yes. One of them was stripped naked and she was able to escape in the middle of the desert and run home. She never reported that. Right. So I'm willing to bet there are women who will see his picture and go, holy crap, that's the man who did X, Y, Z. Right. And one of the things they pointed out was that he victimized very vulnerable women. Yes. And many vulnerable women, like you said, Kath, don't report crimes. So they're really, at the press conference, they kept emphasizing they wanted to talk to his friends, his teachers, his classmates, any women that may have met him on these dating sites. And I do have a very distinct belief that people will be crawling out of the woodwork. Um, and at the press conference, one of the reporters asked a question about outreach in the community. I am virtually certain that the police officers will be dispatched to areas of the city that may be are more prevalent with vulnerable women, shall we say. Well, certainly more areas of the state, too. Yes. And what I believe is that detectives in other jurisdictions, especially ones where they know he lived, they're going to be looking at their missing persons posters or their missing persons cases a lot more closely. Right. And Robinson has an attorney assigned to him, and he has not given any statements. But you know what's the other thing that was interesting about this, though, Kathy, talking about how he's almost devolving. He could be evolving in what he's doing, but... But the, the anger, the rage, the violence in such a short amount of time, these women had no similarities I could find right. other than being vulnerable. Right. The ages ranged from 29 to 54. Right. Different races. Right. Exactly. And yeah, no, he seemed to be indiscriminate in his choices. It's just if you met him on a dating app and you were willing to meet him in a motel, you were a potential victim. Right. But it is interesting that Cheyenne Brown had brought him around to her family. Right, because it means it's not such a transactional encounter. Correct. And by transactional, I don't mean she's a sex worker. I just mean it was more, it wasn't going to be anything more. It was just, they were they were both there for one thing and they knew it and they weren't going to see each other again. Right, so that's another thing I want to point out is that in none of the articles did it mention drug abuse, prostitution, Um, Those are the kind of things that we typically associate with vulnerable women. Right. And so it may be the case, but they're not highlighting it. What they're saying is we want to speak with everyone who had any contact with this guy. So as Kathy said, he's had a lot of jobs. He's lived in a lot of places. So not only are they looking for women to come forward who may have had encounters with him, they're looking for coworkers, former coworkers. They're looking for former neighbors. They're looking for anybody who can give them any information. They don't know where he graduated from high school. Yeah. You know what's fascinating about this is you do not ever have a serial killer in custody 
from which you have to work backwards. Right, exactly. So this is a highly unique situation. It's You know what it does, though, Kathy, is it, it, it still begs the question, how did they arrest him so quickly of when they found the bodies? Were, were they looking for him? It was hours. Just, here's where I go in my head. Uh-oh. I, I want to know how. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I want to know how they got to that field. What happened? Did they get an anonymous tip? Did somebody see something that looked like a body part and call it in? I don't know. Right. And then I think to myself, like, okay, like I know what happens in a regular investigation. There's a dead body and detectives fan out. And they go to every single business and every single home that has any kind of video surveillance. And then they also, if they see a car, for example, and they could get a plate, they do the license plate checks. Right. You know, like he wasn't in a car because he had a shopping cart. That's true. That's true. That's true. But I mean, literally, they go block by block by block. They're very methodical about how they they then spread out. But but see, that's why I want to know, like, what got them there. But how did they put his name to it? Right. Did the did was he using a car and had he parked it two blocks away? I don't know. Did he leave his fingerprints on the shopping cart? But he didn't have a criminal record. Like, how did somebody at that age stay off the grid that much? I'm dying to know. I'm just dying to know how they identify this particular individual in such a short amount of time. And when we find out, we will let you know. Exactly. Because this is important. But it is like it's the, the police kept emphasizing we are working backwards. We are working backwards. In so many serial killer cases... It takes some really crack detectives to identify victims of a serial killer and then go searching for that serial and killer. And follow the trail. Right. In this case, it's like they happened upon this guy that they arrested for these two murders because of the video and, the, and then eventually the cell phone that connected him to, to the first two victims. Right. Um, but then all of a sudden he's connected to these other two and, and it, it will multiply exponentially. I am confident about that. I agree. That's sad, and, but and you it's know, true. Kudos to the Harrisonburg Police Department. Yeah. This is a small town. This is a town of about 50,000 people and crack detectives and police work done by both them and Charlottesville without even knowing it probably, they got a serial killer off the street. Right. And that's right. amazing. And, of course, the cyber guys from Fairfax County. Well, absolutely. I mean, all of them doing it, but they were the first ones to get to him. Right. I like that everyone's working well together, and I like that they're they're pounding the pavement, try to find more victims. Right. We will put pictures up on our social media. If you even think you know something, call the Crime Stoppers in your area. You can be anonymous if you want to, but if you just, oh, I remember my cousin telling me about this and this person she met, and they did this, and it was in Prince George's County. Right. Yeah. Let them check it out. Yeah. I also thought it was really interesting that Chief Davis with Fairfax Police said that in his three decades as a police officer, the phrase serial killer is one that he has used sparingly. Right. So I think you're right, Kathy, when you say that there are other victims. Clearly, he agrees with you. Yeah, They are all <laughs> confident. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that it's a serial they killer. They should have asked you for advice first. But, I think so, But too. they got to the same point. Exactly. <laughs> I want to read a quote from Major O'Carroll that was said at the press conference. He specifically addressed the victim's families, and he said, I'm sorry, my deepest condolences. This police department, the Harrisonburg Police Department, and all agencies mentioned are absolutely committed. Justice will prevail, and the offender will be held accountable for what he did. And we haven't ruled out they— I'll use the plural term, maybe what they did and how he or they 
did it. Oh my gosh, I hadn't even thought about there being another person involved. But when you think about it... It makes sense. He's taking two... Women at the same time. Grown women. Yes, in a shopping cart. Yeah. Time will tell. Time will tell. Yeah. We also wanted to thank one of our listeners, Tara, who suggested that we tackle the shopping cart killer case today. Tara lives in Washington, D.C. She is actually a student at George Washington, and she has her own radio show on WRGW, the university's radio station. It is called Fake Soundtracks for Fake Movies. That sounds hilarious, by the way. Well, and Tara is hilarious. <laughs> it's a great program. If you're either in the area and you can listen or if you can listen online, highly recommend it. It's fun listening. So thank you, Tara. And anybody else who has a suggestion, please feel free to send it over. Thank you all for listening. If you liked us. If they stayed this long, they've liked us, okay. I hope. <laughs> good point. Very good point. Please review, rate, or subscribe. And tell a friend. Exactly. Thank you. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.